time for the sermon. <laughs> if you want to open your Bibles or however you access the Scriptures, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And while you're getting there, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the righteous name of our Lord Jesus Christ and through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that indwells each one of us who has believed on Him as our Lord and our Savior. We know, Lord, from Your Word that it's His righteousness that You give to us so that we are made holy and pure and clean so that we are enabled to come before You and thankfully, Father, your word teaches us that we're received by you, by your gracious love and your mercy. How wonderful it is, Lord, to know that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of heaven and earth, welcomes us into his presence and is willing to hear our prayers. And who else, Lord, is there to pray to but you? There's no other God but you. Forgive us, Father, for our sins and our failures. Give us of those thoughts and words and deeds that aren't a part of the life of a Christian. Forgive us of our disobedience and those things that we put before you as idols and call them Lord. And Forgive us most of all when our own pride and our selfishness becomes the Lord of our heart instead of you. We thank you, Father, for your forgiveness. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for the Bible and all the truths that it contains so that as we read it, we know what it means to be called of you and who you are and how to live for you. Father, these words that are written here that you inspired men to write are your words and yours alone. And I pray that you would be glorified for you are the only one who deserves to be gloried by the things that you spoke. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke, chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. My actual profession is a bread man. <laughs> I deliver bread for Aunt Millie's. And every morning early, about four, I leave uh, Woodmere Avenue, where the depot is, and I drive my truck south on US 31, and I travel to Benzie. And on the left side, which I think would be the east, there's a church called, Inland, I think, Inland Lakes Baptist Church. And there's always a sign lit up bright in the darkness. And for the 16 years I've been traveling down that way, I've come to determine that what's written on the sign is the sermon that's going to be spoken of uh, that Sunday. And a few weeks ago, every day I would travel by that sign, I would see this. A Christian is a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And I would think to myself, well, who doesn't know that? Who doesn't know that a Christian follows Jesus Christ? And over the period of time of that week, and I would travel south and I would read that sign because of different things that would happen here in the church that I'd hear about with other believers and other church members in different places, I was convicted that I'm not sure we understand what that means anymore, that somehow that, that's been lost on us who call Jesus Christ Lord, that we aren't followers of Christ. And unfortunately, we seem to be more followers of ourselves. And it's pride. We all struggle with pride. I know I do. I know there's others that do. And instead of allowing Lord Jesus to be the Lord of our hearts and our souls and our minds, all that we say, do, and think, over time it seems like we gradually creep in and we push him off the throne and and regain it for ourselves. Bad things start to happen when that takes place. Well, how did that start? (laughs) When did it begin? So let's go to Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. And we'll go into the past a little bit and get an understanding of where this issue of pride came from. We're going to read about the devil. And if you're a big-time theologian that likes to study the deep meanings of Scripture, um, verse 12 references Satan, and it's also written uh, to the king of Babylon that ruled at that time. But most people that have studied believe that Lucifer was kind of the working actor behind the king of Babylon, and he pushed him to do his own will. But these verses talk about the devil's fall. Verse 12 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And here's the devil himself starting to take charge, thinking that he will be like God. He says, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And here it is. I will be like the Most High. I will be God. So there, we have a recording of the devil and his thoughts. Well, what does that have to do with us? Let's go back to the beginning of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. I think this is a pretty familiar story to all of us. Now the serpent, who we know to be Satan, was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He starts off by putting doubt into the human's minds. Right Before then, they thought God was it. He was their creator, their master. He provided for them everything they needed. And the devil, who himself wants to be God, comes. And he starts to put questions into the mind of the woman. At first, the woman Eve, she answers properly and says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. 
And then the Satan lies. It says, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Which we know is false, right? Because God said that they would. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And pay attention, here's the kicker. And you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So in a way, they were like God. They could see themselves as for who they were, They were naked, and just like we often do as human beings when we fail, we try to cover ourselves up. And so they got fig leaves and did a man-made work of hiding their shame. If you're familiar with the story, you know right after God comes searching for them, and he sees what they have done, and he covers their nakedness in his own way by providing a sacrifice. If you read that closely, it says he took the skins from animals which he had to kill, and he used those skins to cover them instead of man's covering because it's just not good enough. (laughs) So here we are right from the get-go. We're plunged into sin, and we desire to be like God. And I think that's something we struggle with, definitely before we're saved, and even oftentimes during the midst of our salvation as we desire to walk with God It's a constant battle with our own minds and our own hearts about who's in charge. Fortunately, the Lord Jesus Christ, he took care of it. Uh, In Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All your sins will be forgiven. You'll be washed clean. You can enter into the Lord's kingdom where he's prepared everything for you. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and I like the New Living Translation account. It says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Also says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so there's the real issue. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as tough as it might be for some of us to hear, you're not your own anymore. You were dead spiritually, and the only way that you were made alive is because the Lord God called you out of this earth, gave you the gift of faith for you to believe, and Jesus Christ came and saved you and redeemed you from sin and has given you the promise of eternal life. And still we we struggle, (laughs) don't we? Because we oftentimes struggle to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's easy to call him our Savior. You don't have to submit to a Savior. But to a Lord, you have to bow the knee and humble your heart and cast aside your own life for him. Let's read through uh, the book of Luke once again. Chapter 14, and we'll start in verse 25. 
We have our good Lord Jesus teaching. It says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. It's a weighty thing, Jesus says. He's talking about hating the ones we care about. Now, he's not saying there that we literally hate these people. But in comparison to our love and devotion to him, it would be as we hated these people that he mentions. But at the end of that is the most important part of that verse, yes, in his own life also. Do we hate our own lives enough to be Jesus' disciple so that he can be the Lord of it? Do I hate my life enough that I'm willing to set aside my will for his will to always be done in me? He continues, And whoever, as we just read in the previous verse, in Luke 23 through 26, he repeats, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We had read previously to deny oneself. That's everything. To have it your way, to think your way is best, to deny your pride, your desires, your lusts, everything you crave. Can you put it all aside so that Jesus can be Lord? Because he says here, right plainly in Scripture, that if you cannot, you cannot be his disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, we know that Jesus died on the cross. It was his implement of death. And so Jesus is telling us to take up our own cross and to follow him with it, to crucify ourselves and who we are, to literally put to death what we are before him. Unfortunately, it seems like after we were willing to do it for a time, something in us is revived and we struggle to be alive again and to set ourselves again on the seat that only Jesus deserves. We can be reassured that grace comes only by God, that everything to do with our salvation is by Him alone. He died on the cross. He paid the debt for sin. It's nothing we can do, say, or think that provides salvation or forgiveness. But once that's been attained through the work of Jesus Christ, we have something to pay also. And the following verses attest to that. In verse 28 of chapter 14, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? Being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, costs you something. It costs you your life. <laughs> So who doesn't sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him, who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace, so likewise, whoever of you 
does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So as we become followers of Jesus Christ, we have to be mindful that he requires something of us. Right there at the end of verse 32, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Some of us have more than others. <laughs> Some of us have to give up a lot more than others, even if it's in our own head. But everyone has to forsake everything if he's going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, or she, young, old. How many of you, when you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, considered the cost? How many really thought of what we are meant to give up to receive his gift of salvation when he calls us into his throne room? We have some great examples of Scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul understood in his relationship to Jesus Christ uh, that he was a slave and he forgo all of his rights as an individual so that he could submit himself to the ultimate authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in a few of his letters, if you look at the first verses in the first chapter, he writes as such. In Romans 1.1, it starts out, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. In most of your Bibles, it might have the term bondservant, but that word bondservant comes from the Greek word doulos, like we've heard Pastor Conover say recently, and that only means to be a slave. Also in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul writes again in Titus 1.1, Paul, a slave of God. In Philemon, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In the book of James, James, who is Jesus' brother, he writes in James 1.1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter, one of the apostles of our Lord, writes in 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, another one of Jesus' brothers, writes in Jude 1.1, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. Individuals that understood their place under the authority of the Lord Jesus understood that he was to be everything if they were truly his disciples. And we should be followers of them as they follow Christ, like Paul has said. Are you willing to think of yourself as a slave? Oftentimes when we think of the word slave, we think of our history classes and what it meant for African Americans to be slaves in the country of the United States. And we think about what a terrible life that they led and how they were mistreated. But to be a slave of Jesus Christ is not so, because even though we are meant to give up all that we are for him, we give it up for someone who loves us, for someone who gave his life for us, someone who is willing to give us eternal life and is even now in heaven preparing a place for us so that when he comes back to receive us, we can be with him. To consider ourselves slaves is difficult if we think of a slave in an earthly term. But to be the slave of Jesus Christ, there's no better thing.
The hardest part about not being a slave and about pride can not only be the impact it has on you personally and those around you, even your family, but when human pride starts to enter into a church, it is devastating. You have segregations of people that all believe in like-minded ways. Unfortunately, there are ways that they've come up with. (laughs) You have personal opinions. You have the the quote that I hear most often, well, I think. (laughs) How many times? I mean, I probably even have said it myself. Well, I think. Don't mean to be sacrilegious, but... If any of you are familiar with the WWF and Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson used to play this character in wrestling called The Rock. And one of his quotes, well, it just doesn't matter what you think. And he used to put it in a prideful way because he was raising himself above others. But when it comes to our will in relationship to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what we think. We're supposed to hate our own lives also so that he can be supreme and we submit ourselves to him. What's unfortunate is that churches no longer think this way and thus you see signs that say to be a Christian means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And pastors have to stand before congregations and tell them what should be obvious because we're not willing to submit to the authority of our Lord. We've become humanistic in our thinking. We have become the Lord of our lives so that all we do is determined by our own sense of right and wrong. And everyone else, and and anything anyone else does, we sit in judgment on. We only give our consent if it meets our own self-centered approval. We don't let God work out His will in us and never consider what God is doing in others is of Him. <laughs> Oftentimes that we criticize another brother and sister in Christ when all that time the Lord might be working out something in their lives and we have just become too dull to see it. We are certain that others are also only working out their own human will. If I'm a person steeped in my own pride, then it's easy for me to project that anything anyone else does or says, they're just doing what I'm doing. You can project your own uh, failures onto others. And we become judges when there's only one true judge. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. We have some warnings (laughs) from Jesus Christ to individuals who live their lives this way. Uh, If you turn your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 21 through Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
this is who can enter, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many miracles in your name? Jesus says in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And how often are we like that in the church? We say, Lord, Jesus is Lord, right? Uh, Oftentimes the joke, if a Sunday school teacher or an individual in church asks a question and no one knows the answer, they just say Jesus, right? That's always the right answer. So even mentally, we're able to concede that Jesus is Lord. But those who really know that Jesus is Lord do the will of his Father in heaven. You have people here in verse 22 that in their hearts and in their minds, they've done real works for Jesus. They said, uh, many will say to me in that day, have we not prophesied in your name, right? Told the things of God in the name of Jesus. Cast out demons. Done many wonders. All these huge works that would... Only think, one could only think that it was because of the Holy Spirit fulfilling all of these things. Uh, we know that early on in Genesis, when the Tower of Babel was going to be built, human beings were all gathered into one place and to build a monument to themselves. They were going to build a tower that could reach the heavens. And then we know God came down and confused them all so that they were scattered across the earth. The point of me mentioning that is human beings can do some great things. Look at all the unbelievers that exist in the world and they do great things, right? There's some amazing things as far as advances in science and technology and the things that we take for granted that makes our lives easy. Not everyone who uh, is a part of creating these things is a Christian. And so even in church, we can do some things. We can have some programs. We can have some meetings. We can have classes. We can serve in different aspects of of a church, and it can seem like a lot of good things are taking place, things that God's got to be blessing it. But if any of those things are done with a heart of disobedience, as soon as you leave the doors of this building and you go on to be Lord of your life for the rest of the week to where you're calling the shots, and your opinions are all that matter, and what you say and what you think is what's most important. And Jesus Christ doesn't lead you through every single activity of your life. The warning is this. In verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And that's a serious thing for the Lord Jesus not to know you. Because while everyone who calls upon him as Lord and obeys him as Lord receives eternal life and the gift of heaven, the ones that he don't know are going to have to pay the punishment of their own sin and they will be condemned eternally in a place called hell which Jesus says burns with fire and brimstone and it's dark. So these are serious things. Giving your life over to Jesus Christ is life and death. Placating your own self Righteousness and your own sense of pride is not anything to take lightly because there can only be one Lord. 
And only one Lord can give you salvation. It's nothing you can do for yourself. And I often read those verses with sadness because I wonder how many people have lived such a long time thinking Jesus was their Lord when they really never committed to him and they see him and he turns them away. And my prayer for those of us here is that that's not the case. Notice the context of these verses. Especially focus on, let's look at 7. Chapter 7 here in the book of Matthew, uh, verses 3 through 5. When it talks about judging others. I mean, isn't that commonplace now in the world to judge other people? Uh, I'm not a big social media thing. I have a couple accounts, mostly just to follow, follow people I love and care about. But what I noticed is pretty much the norm on social media is someone posts something and then you get likes. And then on other social media aspects, you can leave comments. And Brian's talked about this in the past, where you can voice your own criticisms, like somehow what you have to say about what someone else is doing is so important. Um, you can see that there's that self-centered attitude that we're just born with that doesn't belong. And Jesus talks about that here in Matthew. And he says to us, <laughs> Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? We're so quick to speak out of our own opinion without really looking at what kind of person that opinion comes from. How convicted I am when I look in the mirror and think, who am I to judge someone else? What have I ever done that my opinion should carry such weight that others should you know, obey it or agree with it or think it? I was dead spiritually before Jesus saved me. He's my only life. What's so hard to give up? <laughs> so Jesus tells us, you know, why do we look at the speck in our brother's eye but we don't consider the plank in our own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Obviously you can't see straight, right, if you've got a plank in your eye. Hypocrite. <laughs> Another nice thing Jesus says. First, remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And let me tell you this. When you are seeing clearly, once your own plank has been removed, if that plank isn't removed and gives you a great sense of humility and contriteness and meekness, there is no way you're going to remove your brother's speck with any type of condemnation or judgment or criticism. If your beam is completely removed, you ought to be humbled and you ought to move along that side of that person whose speck needs to remove in the same way with gentleness and kindness and love. Not to work against, but to work with. So again, not long after this in verse 21, Jesus is saying to these people who call him Lord, Lord, but they don't do his will. And judging your brother with a plank in your eye is not his will. And people who live their lives based on doing that on a regular basis might one day hear the Lord's 
telling them to depart from him that he never knew him. Be careful how you judge. Notice the context of those verses, also 7 verse 12. It says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Treat people the way you want to be treated. Do you want to be condemned, (laughs) judged, criticized, ridiculed? Everything you do, questioned. If not, then I wouldn't do it to other people. At least be sensitive. Make sure your opinion is based on the scriptures and not your own heart. We struggle in our church with pride and self-centeredness. Not everyone, but I would say most of us. And I do too. When you're an elder, it's easy to think God's granted you certain privileges and knowledge. And I admit that while that's certainly true, there's also times where I'm just irritated (laughs) and tired and upset. And so then the human side comes out and you say things that you ought not to or think things that you ought not to. But I've had enough communication with enough individuals that I know that we all struggle with it. And it's really the concept of what are you going to do? Is Jesus Christ going to be Lord? Can you really hate your own life also? Can you really take up your cross and follow him? Can you really consider yourself as a slave and follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? As far as the church is concerned, we're given some scriptures. Thank God in his wisdom on how we ought to act towards one another. And if you turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it's a perfect guide in how we ought to interact with one another. I've just noticed the time, and holy moly, there's no way I'm going to fill it. Uh Almost done. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Everyone in the church, be like-minded. How does that start? By letting Jesus be Lord, right? If each of us is not telling the other what to do, but we just let Jesus tell us all what to do, we can all be of the same mind. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, again, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. I remember Brian, when he first came here as pastor, you remember his first sermon series, It's Not About Us? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But pay attention to this. Here's our new attitude. But in lowliness, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others 
better than himself? Are you willing to give your brother and sister in church the benefit of the doubt? Are you willing to humble yourself and esteem other people as being better than you? Can we serve one another with a heart and an attitude of love and forgiveness and kindness and mercy and work together? Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's hard not to be self-centered and and self-focused, but how much better we would function as a body of believers if we looked out for each other. And instead of looking for ways to condemn and judge one another, looking for ways how we could come alongside one each other to fulfill the Lord Jesus' will in our congregation. And Jesus himself in verse 5 through 11, gives us the example because it's something he's already done. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So we all know that the Son, right? The Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God. But when he came to earth, he didn't come here to flaunt himself as being God. Instead, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, he took the form of a bondservant. Again, we know that word is slave. He took the form of a slave. And he came in the likeness of men. And being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself. The King of kings and the Lord of lords made himself to be humble. And he became obedient, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because one thing is certain about Jesus' lordship in the world and in our lives is whether or not we call him Lord, he is. And some of us will proclaim it with joy at our salvation that Jesus is Lord. And some will do it out of fear, knowing that his wrath has come. But no matter what, Jesus will be known in the world as Lord because this this world is his. And we are his. And you can come to him willingly. Or he can drag you. But his will will be done. His will will be done in this church. And my prayer and my request for all of us is if you've seated yourself on the throne of your life, step down. Step down willingly and let him take his rightful place there in your heart. Let the things you think come from the mind of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Let the things you say be his words written in the scriptures that we all can read and understand. Let our actions be the things the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. Let's not create things to be busy, but let's take time to focus on Jesus Christ and his will for our lives. Let's do what he called us to do. Let's be his disciples. Let's take up our crosses and follow him. 
Now, I know there's many of us that came to church today and have been coming to church for some time that at one point picked up their cross and they denied themselves and they repented of their sins and they confessed Jesus as Lord and they received his forgiveness. And there are many of us that still cling to that cross day by day and live as obedient followers of Jesus Christ. Continue on. But there are some of us, maybe at one time or another, even now, for some reason, whatever it was, the cross got too heavy. And we set it down somewhere behind us. And we've been trying to move forward in our own strength. And for those of us that are in that position, I would ask that we slow down and we look back and we go find where we put that cross and we pick it up again. Let's deny ourselves. Let's cru crucify ourselves on that cross and obey, obey Jesus Christ from the heart. Now, there could possibly even be some people here today that have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> about any type of cross or about Jesus' death or what all that means. Well, here's what it means. Every one of us was born a sinner. Those verses we read about in Genesis when Adam and Eve, they obeyed the devil, decided to disobey God and not believe what he had told them. They plunged us all into sin. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's our nature. And so there's nothing you can do as a sinner to earn favor with God. But that word gospel, which means good news, is this. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and his death paid the price for sin. And so that if you believe in him and his work, by God's grace, you're forgiven. All you have to do is pray and receive the gift that God's given you, that gift of salvation and eternal life. And if what I've said now isn't clear enough, then come speak to me after, after this message is over. It may be uncomfortable, but are you willing, if you've set your cross down, to rededicate yourself to the Lord Jesus? Are you willing to come down and, and make a show of it? That you're willing to rededicate yourself to following him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus of all the good and pleasant things that we read in Scripture. Many, Father, uh, proclaim you glorified when we read the Psalms and the comfort that they bring. and We learn of your love and your mercy and your grace. And we find warmth and we find peace and we find comfort in the things that we read. and They strengthen us and empower us every day of our lives if we're willing to commit to them. But Father, also you've written some hard things. You've written things that oftentimes, Father, are hard to, uh, to really want to swallow. You know us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes, Father, you, you, you teach us hard things from your word and your truths. You expose wrong motives and selfish ambitions. 
pride being the number one, my Father. Father, I ask that if it be your will this morning that you would come and show us where we're at in our relationship with you. Father, if we find ourselves following you faithfully, then I pray for those individuals, God, you would take away doubt and fear and worry and comfort them knowing that you love them and that you are there for them and that they are your chosen children and no one can ever take them from you so that they can live in peace and security of knowing their, their position before you. Father, for any of us that have set aside your cross and for whatever reason have struck out on our own, I pray, Lord, that you would reach us where we're at, that your Holy Spirit would put a heart of repentance within us and so that we would forsake our own ways, that we would fully commit to following you, knowing, Father, that as soon as we repent and confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that you're willing to reestablish us in fellowship with you the moment we confess our sins and repent. Holy Father, if there are those here today that have never put their faith in Jesus Christ, then I pray, Lord, that your words would reach their hearts, that they would humble themselves, and that they would pray to you, Lord, that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that they would confess you as their Lord, and that you would enter into them through the Holy Spirit, that you'd help them to understand that their sins have been swept away, that your forgiveness will overwhelm them and cleanse them and purify them. And I pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would burn a fire in their hearts that would motivate them to follow you, to forsake all that makes themselves them and be willing to accept you fully for who you are, that you would be the Lord of their life. Father, I pray for East Bay Calvary Church. I pray, Father, that we're a church that submits to your will and your authority. Pray, Father, that Jesus is Lord of this church. I pray, Father, that we would set aside our individual opinions and the way we think best. That we would understand, Lord, that we're not our own, that you've bought us with your own blood. I pray, Father, we would not seek to perform works according to our own will and in our own strength only to find out you never knew us but instead that we would follow you faithfully and serve you in the ways that you call us to serve, that we would be ones who obey the will of the Father. So in that day we see you face to face, we'll realize our salvation and your great love for us. Please work in every one of us, Father, to fulfill all your will, all for your glory, so that people will know that there is a God in heaven who created the heavens and the earth and who grants us salvation and eternal life. Bless us, Father, as we leave this room. Help us to travel home safely. And I ask, God, that as soon as we leave, we wouldn't forget the things that you've written in your word, but that we would meditate on them and be willing to repent and to follow and to be all that you've called us to be. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.